You're listening to Comedy Central. First off, let me just acknowledge uh, Trevor. Yeah. Liter- literally just flew in from South Africa. Literally right to here. So big effort from you. So thank you. So oh, much. thank you, Jake. Thank you very much. And before we start with the big questions. And boy, are my arms tired. Nice. <laughs> so I have this book from last year. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah presents the Donald J. Trump presidential Twitter library. Yes. And now there's an exhibit here at South by Southwest. Where Which people- everyone needs to go and check out. Um, I think a lot of people... Uh, you know, get swamped by Donald Trump's tweets, and a lot of people get depressed by them, they get angered by them, but what we've created is a special library that'll truly help you appreciate Donald Trump in all of his genius. Um, it'll give you, no, it really will, it'll give you a new perspective on the man, the mind, the legend. Um, it's, it's, it's like traveling through time, future <laughs> and past. It's amazing. Have you been? Uh, I've read the book. and my, No, you and should my, go. You my, must go in person. I'm going after this, uh, and I understand that one particular tweet has rope around it, almost like it's the Mona Lisa of Trump tweets. Yes, there are some tweets, there are tweets, like Trump is honestly like, he's almost a savant when it comes to his tweeting, because there are tweets that he's written about the future that have come true, there's things that, like he's, he's predicted things, we just don't appreciate him, that's the thing. Mostly I think, about himself though, unfortunately. You, yeah, well I mean, that's still genius in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, to tweet things about yourself as a future president and then it comes true is just like, you know, that's, uh, we have to honor that before we die. <laughs> we don't really have to, I don't think, but, <laughs> but we'll just leave that there, as they say in the cable news biz. Um, I know that when I'm preparing for a show, whether it's uh, a weekday afternoon or a Sunday morning, often, whether it's a Trump tweet or just something else in the news, but usually it has something to do with President Trump, there's an eruption of news, a big news story, and I'm wondering how that affects you and your show, if it affects you and your show, if you have to recalibrate suddenly because all of a sudden the big news story uh, has, is, you know, is, is blocking out the sun. I think what we've come to realize is there is no news cycle, there is no schedule, there is no plan. Um, you know, when, when, when we started The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, and I had just taken over from John, it, it, the news cycle used to have a certain cadence to it, there was a rhythm. And so you knew that at a certain time there would be no news so you could compile all of your stories, you could create a show. Now, this is the 5.30 curse, we call it. Mm-hmm. We're at 5.30 p.m. Somebody's getting indicted. <laughs> some tweet is coming out. Somebody is, is, is getting into some scandal. Some, something is going to happen. And so we've had... We don't to, call uh, that a curse, by the way, in the news biz. We call that <laughs> manna from heaven. But Is but, that... <laughs> we like it. We don't, we don't like it because we have to write the jokes about it. Oh, okay. Right. You just get to tell it as it is. <laughs> and so... Um, <laughs> And so, no, this is true. This is true. I don't even know why oh, you guys this, are making that a why thing. Why are they laughing? Um, yeah, and, and, and so we, we've had to learn to, to embrace that as, as opposed to um, running away from it. So we create the show for the day, and we know full well there's a good chance that at 5 p.m. we'll have to throw out most of the show and then create something that speaks to what's happening on the day. And we've, we've gotten good at it. We enjoy it. Um, I think we've, we've acclimatized to the chaos. And one of the ways um, that you do that, I want to bring in some of, some of the, the news team here, is one of the ways you do that is uh, this incredible digital presence uh, where um, I think it's, I'm told it's, it's the most engaged late night show on television in 2018. You've been told correctly. 63 million interactions. 63 million interactions. Right. Um, for instance, the last one I saw uh, that just naturally appeared in my feed uh, was the, the Jesse Smollett story um, starring uh, two gentlemen over there. Uh, uh, how did that ha- I mean, uh, Jabuki, I know that you had already made jokes, we saw it uh, just air, about how white people think you look like Jesse Smollett, even yes. though you do not look like Jesse Smollett. Yeah. But how did, how did, I mean, first of all, that was kind of 
gutsy because it's still kind of an uncomfortable thing to talk about the Jesse Smollett situation. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? I thought that the narrative that was unfolded from the Chicago Police Department was just so already an empire plotline or like a <laughs> lifetime plotline that just like laying that out as it's been described is just so absurd that it just sort of lent itself to a sketch format. So we pretty much just like found out that morning and like threw it together and it was like maybe five hours that we did it. It was like very bang up, we just did it and yeah. And Roy, your your uh, training, uh, well, mastering a, a Nigerian accent came. Well, into yes. Like, <laughs> you have to understand that as a performer, I studied the Nigerian dialect all afternoon. <laughs> minutes he spent on this. <laughs> yes, minutes. minutes to be one of the Nigerian attackers. Yes, but it's it's very fun that we have the capability now at the show to be able to tell jokes in a lot of different mediums. It doesn't just have to be at the desk. It doesn't have to be a desk chat. It doesn't have to be a field piece. We go, here's the best way to disseminate this idea and this thought, and we have a great team in-house where we can turn stuff around fast enough so that we don't get hit with the 530 curse, or the next day the narrative is somewhere totally different and the sketch is useless. Was there any part of it for either of you that you felt uncomfortable doing just because that story, I just know like covering that story was uncomfortable from beginning to end. Was there any part of you that hesitated or you just like, you know, like Willie Sutton said about banks, that's where the money is, that's where the comedy is. I was reticent to make it seem like I had full faith in the Chicago Police Department. Um, <laughs> because, you know, uh, that's kind of their thing. <laughs> and you're from Chicago. Yeah, and I'm from Chicago, so like I sort of do have an experience of what they can do and what they're capable of, but at the same time, there were so many things that were presented where it's like, you have to talk about this and like mention it. They're like some irrefutable points that were brought up. So I feel like that was one thing where I feel like uh, giving them too much credit almost. It's like, I don't know, you don't want to side with the cops at the end of the day, I guess. <laughs> like, they want to seem like I'm their best friend. So yeah, I feel like that was kind of one thing. And Ronnie, one of the things that's great, I think, about The, the Daily Show um, is I, I sometimes learn about news stories because you guys are going there and doing making fun of the situation in a way. Sure. And the one I think about all the time is the, is, with you is the biker gang uh, yeah. district attorney. Yeah. He had been elected, he had been part of a biker gang and it really be, it became a larger piece about uh, criminal justice reform. Yeah. Um, was it scary at all going into that biker gang and trying to make friends with them or? Uh, <laughs> I, are, they, are they watching this? Um, <laughs> they, they were, uh, it was, it was, because we were trying to show them as not a biker gang, they were just like a group of people hanging out, but they, they made it hard to show that. They, <laughs> they, they, they were very distrustful of, but they, they weren't like a gang, they were just a group of motorcycle guys, but I guess they watched too much Sons of Anarchy or something, because they wouldn't like let us just like um, make, make fun of them. They, 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 it took a while to get their trust that, yo, we're just trying to show you guys as normal guys. Can you just be normal guys like you are? And they were like, oh, okay. And then, yeah. So, um, but the good thing about field pieces is that we get to go out into the world and show stories and in some ways gain control back of what we want to say on the show. Because sometimes, on the, not sometimes, every day on The Daily Show, we're kind of, we can be um, uh, slaves. Can I say slaves? <laughs> um, to... I will allow it. Okay, thanks. I don't. <laughs> Uh, that's the black community to, in a nutshell. Yeah, we, me, me and Roy share an office, and we have this. Uh, every day, I'm asking words I can't say or can't say. Um, 
So uh, we're, we're kind of like victims of the news cycle. And I remember Trevor, like early on, like just when during the just before the election, actually, we were at the Paley Center, and you said, like, "Are you looking forward to this election?" The question was, "Are you looking forward to this election be over?" And you said, "Yes, because we can finally go back to talking about what we want to talk about." Obviously, you're not expecting the result that happened. So <laughs> it, the, sometimes you have to talk about the tweet or the the whatever, because he makes it news. We're forced to discuss it, and, and fuel pieces are great chances to go out and talk about something else and, and, and kind of talk about what we want to talk about as a show. Yeah. Uh, Dulce, let me ask you, you did that great piece about, I for, now I forget the name of this woman, but the annoying woman who reported that little girl who was selling water. What was what the nickname, what was it? Uh, I think that was Permit Patty. Permit Patty. <laughs> so um, it seems like there's uh, I like how we say it like that's her government name. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, Permit Patty, I believe it was. <laughs> uh, it sounded like you were both having a tremendous amount of fun uh, talking about her, but also venting a little bit. And uh, how, how, mu how much is, is uh, this show help all of you get things off your chest that you want to be saying, the things that are frustrating you? Well, I think um, Trevor asked me one day, like when I'm doing like a field piece or I'm coming up with an idea for something, what's my thought process in reference to like asking someone questions or how I respond to something. And I was like, you know the first thing that pops in your head and you automatically go, I shouldn't say that. I say that. <laughs> so, which gets me in a lot of trouble, but I, I still work here. But <laughs> I think a lot of times that first thing that you're trained not to say is your truest response to something. So when I saw this, I was like, this woman ain't got nothing better to do then stop a child, because if it was, if the girl was selling Girl Scout cookies, would you have said something? What could this child have been doing for you to not call the police on her? And that's not the point. For the woman that called the police on the little boy who she said touched her in a convenience store, or all of these times where it's like, oh, you're wearing socks at a pool, which is annoying, but that's not a cop situation. <laughs> hey, hey. Or the woman who just called the police on the guy because his dog was humping her dog. You have a hot dog, what's the problem? <laughs> that, that's what I said as well, yeah. <laughs> I don't like dogs, so I don't know. But it seems like it, it's never about what the person is doing. It's always about you need to be afraid of me. <laughs> and that's all that ever is. Calling the cop, a white person calling the cops and a black person is going, I don't like how you're in my space and I know how to check you. It's always a check. So for me to just go, I'm not, it's a lot of times you just have to go, I'm not here for this. And well, they, that's what always the response is for me. And they always answer, you know? You call a bunch of people, no one answers anymore. You call the cops, somebody picks up. Right. Just feels good to have somebody answer. <laughs> You're speaking from experience. <laughs> this is why America's response. The we need more connection in life is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Your mom always answers, call your mom. <laughs> Youngest of four kids, she does not always answer when I call her. <laughs> well, maybe you ain't the favorite, because I am. <laughs> Desi, you, you host a series called Masterpiece Tweeter, which uh, mocks oh, yes. the, the president's tweets. Um, <laughs> did you ever, in your wildest dreams, when you're coming up as a comedian, think that the president was just going to be gifting you with so much fodder, so much? It is endless. <laughs> I think that that is such a refillable. It'll just keep going and going and going. 
it, it's like every single day he does some other delightful tweet. And so we were celebrating it, just like the, the Twitter library. Um, yeah, it is, it is a true celebration. Do you have a favorite? Is there, is there one that, that sticks in your mind as being particularly? I mean, Kofifi was pretty Kofifi. phenomenal. Well, the best part about the Twitter library is that there's a giant screen that is a live feed of Trump's Twitter. And when his, when, when he, if he tweets while you're there, an alarm goes off. <laughs> and it happened in Miami. So like different people were there interviewing us and the alarm goes off and everyone goes, Trump tweeted. And then we ran over to the screen. And I was like, one moment I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> but it's exciting because there's a lot, you're like, it's a thing. But it's, it's amazing to see, you're like, wow. Foolishness in action on a live stage. It's amazing. <laughs> one, and, and Trevor, I've told you this before, but one of my favorite things that you've added to the show is um, Between the Scenes. Are people familiar with Between the Scenes? It's, it, um, how did that, it, it just explain to people who don't know uh, what that is, what it is, and, and how did that come to be? Um, so, pretty much what you see on the stage is what happens at the show all the time. <laughs> Um, we all make jokes with each other. We all have our opinions. Uh, Dulce is trashing Michael. Um, I call the cops. <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie's checking like what what racially things are, <laughs> what, which things are racially acceptable with Roy. Um, and one of the main things I do at, at the studio is I, I have fun with with the audience. You know, so we're, we're taping the Daily Show, and you know when we step down for like the, the space between ad breaks because we basically tape live to tape. Um, which means we, we know we, we try not to have retakes. We, try, we just try to have the show as authentic as possible. Um, and so in between, what I do is I'll, I'll just chat to the audience, you know, just chat about what's going on in my head. Maybe there's like some, some ideas that aren't fully formed, some, some pieces of information that I have, maybe larger conversations, and I don't know which way they're going to lead. Um, and I used to do this with the audience all the time. And one day, it was actually someone who came to the show and said, hey, they came twice. And then they were like, hey, how do I, how do I watch this, this part as well? Mm. I was like, well, you, you can't. And I said, why not? And I said, because it's, it's, not, it's not filmed. And they were like, well, why don't you film it? I was like, I, do, I don't have an answer for that. I never... <laughs> it was such a simple question. And it, it was an honest audience member who just said to me, hey, why don't you, why don't you just film that? Because I, I I, you said something that I wanted to show my friends, and I couldn't because they weren't here with me. And so then I said, well, why don't we just record perpetually? You know, while the show is happening, we record, and then when we stop, we just keep recording. And at first, people were just like, are, are you setting yourself up for some scandal? Because, I mean, you don't know when the cameras are on. And I was like, yeah, but what I say is what I say, and let's put it out there, and, uh, and we'll see how it goes. And it was never meant to be anything um, viral or anything. You know, like, sometimes people will be like, you should make a viral segment. I'm like, that's not how viral works. <laughs> um, so so, so what, what it was was just an organic place for me to engage with an audience and go, there are things I don't know about. Like, everything that we create on the show is a, is a culmination of everyone who works on it. You know, it's our script writers, it's, it's our team of correspondents, it's our producers, um, you know, it's our fact checkers. It's, it's, it's not just like, we don't just put it together and go like, let's go say this on TV. But between the scenes is a space where I can, you know, for lack of a better term, just ignorantly wade into a topic and, and see what happens, just engage with an audience. Um, there's no material, there's no, there's no news, it doesn't have to be what's happening on the day, it's, it's, it's just what's in the zeitgeist. And so, um, it's, it's my most honest expression and it's a different pace from what I do on the actual Daily Show. But it needs the Daily Show to succeed. So, so the two are the yin and yang of each other. The Daily Show is meant to be slick, it's meant to be uh, you know, a parody of a news program, 
although news has become like the parody itself now because of all the jokes because of Trump, you guys can't control it. Um, <laughs> no, genuinely, you felt it as well. Like I've seen your face, Jake, when sometimes when, you, when you're reading the news, you're just like, I'm, I'm on Comedy Central. <laughs> um, and, 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 and so what's nice is between the scenes gets to break that pace and just be like, hey, this is, you know, this is really between the scenes of what's happening on the show. Um, and it's, it's done really well and, and, and I enjoyed doing it. And, you know, I remember one day I realized it had gotten, it had really spawned a life of its own when Anna Kendrick came to the show and she was like, hey, do I get to be on Between the Scenes? <laughs> and I was like, that's not a thing. <laughs> and she was like, but then what have I been watching? <laughs> I said, I, 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 and yes, Anna, but it's not, it's not like a planned thing. She was like, yeah, then I just want to come hang out with you without planning. And I was like, okay. And then she came out and sat there and she's like, what happens? I was like, no, this is what happened. Nothing happened. <laughs> there is no, there's no alpha and omega. It just, it just happens and we see where it goes. And we had a great time. And so that's become an organic part of the daily show that engages people in a different way online. That's great. Do you guys all know which one of your episodes or which one of your segments rather uh, went viral the most, got the most clicks? Is that something that you're aware of at all? No. No. I don't know. Yeah. No. Should I know I, that? I'm, no, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just wondering because. So I mean, you can kind of gauge how many people say they hate you based off yeah, of Twitter. Yeah. Uh, the fewer hate tweets. Are yeah, fewer hate tweets. Um, I get a lot of yeah, hey girl, and a lot of yes, and you know, emojis of finger snapping. But I think the more divisive the issue, the more engagement you tend to have. You can have something that's good natured and. It's about a singular thought. Like, I did a piece on the Compton Cowboys who basically use horses as a way to treat PTSD for ex-gang members. And that's a great piece. But then I also went to Montana and covered a pro-gun rally and got a lot more yeah. tweeting and I hate your guts type stuff from people. So I think they both <laughs> went viral, but it's like for different reasons, there's like different types of attention that you can draw. Yeah, because my 911 call went viral, but then when I did the um, black women's equal pay chat, I had a guy on um, Facebook say, oh, I can tell by your name you grew up without a father, um, all this other crazy stuff, and I'm a very um, ridiculous human mm -hmm. being. So I screenshotted everything and posted it, and then all of my friends found out where he works, and then started emailing <laughs> his job, because he was harassing me and saying racist and hateful. And then other people were like, this one guy said, ah, you're fat. And I was like, what? And he was like, I don't have time to talk to you about the pay gap. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so don't read the comments. It's really yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's really Still cool. engagement, though, Dulce. That but was engagement. <laughs> hey, I, was, I don't know what fat and pay gap has to do. Maybe I finally make enough money to be fat. I don't know what he was trying to tell me. Uh, Michael, did you get a lot of response when you did your gun segment, when you went to? Yeah, I mean, Roy you know, hit the nail on the head about the more divisive an issue. I, I went to Switzerland and covered how they own as per capita as many guns, have as, a passion for guns that's equal to ours, yet they don't kill anybody. Uh, and, you know, I embedded with a 12, 13 year old kids who have AR 15s and go to a shooting range after school every day and learn how to shoot. And uh, there's targets up 300 meters away. There's cows walking around the targets. And the only American there, I first thought, well, I wonder if we could shoot one of these cows. These 12-year-old <laughs> <laughs> these 12 12 kids 
<laughs> with assault rifles. They were like, why would they didn't even cross their mind that they could do something they weren't supposed to do with, with a rifle. There's so much respect uh, for guns, for ammunition. It, it, it's amazing. For cows. Uh, and for cows, too, <laughs> yes. They love dairy, the Swiss. Um, you really thought about shooting a cow? Of course. It's right there next to the target. <laughs> So we report, the, we report this. I'm there. I'm in Switzerland. I'm, I'm like, holy shit, these people love guns and they don't kill each other. I thought it was pretty straightforward. And then you wake up and you hit at on Twitter. Don't do it. And there are people, I mean, there's podcasts debunking our, our field piece and, and, and for hours. And it's like, yo, I was there. I saw it. They respect guns. There was, What's the the, these people are carrying rifles at the shooting festival when, in one hand. In the other hand, they got a 12-pack of beer. They're shit-faced with AR-15s. <laughs> Everybody's cool. Sounds like my family reunion. <laughs> <laughs> and the point of the piece is we can own guns respectfully. That's what we can do. That's the piece. And I know Texas needs to hear this shit. <laughs> That's a I don't know if I answered your question, but That's okay. I got going. Jabuki, you're 24 years old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you almost said you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> It's just so young. Jabuki was making fun of old people in the green room, and oh the God. age he used was 37. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm younger than, so I was fine with it. So you're 24 years old, so first of all, thanks for being awake and, and getting yeah. here. Um, <laughs> Whoa. It I was, was hard, but I did At it. this time, right. back in whenever that was, I was asleep. Um, <laughs> as the millennial correspondent, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Do you feel a special sense of obligation to actually like know what's going on among your peers, or do you, is it just like where the jokes are, just to have fun? Um, I, I guess I do feel that sort of obligation. I spend half of my waking life on my phone, like on social media and Twitter and everything. So it kind of just happens by just passive intake of everything. Um, but I also kind of feel like I'm not trying to be like, mm, how do I figure out how to mention Grubhub in this, like, <laughs> in this chat? You know what I mean? Like, what are the kids doing these days? Like, it's, not, it's, it's not like that. It's more so just like speaking from what I'm experiencing, what people like me, my friends are experiencing. Yeah. And uh, Roy, you did a great piece. Uh, is it called Ceasefire, the, the group in yeah, Chicago? The, the gang interrupters who walk the streets of Chicago and talk down angry gang members from retaliating when there's been a shooting on the south side or west side. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, the part, the fu it was funny, the part especially when you're recreating like a, a, an action drama. film and you're handing out flyers. Um, but but uh, and also you could tell it was very meaningful to you. I mean, these guys really seem to touch you. That's probably one of the more meaningful, I would say the most meaningful field piece, top three for sure, where it's an issue where there aren't a lot of jokes. People are getting killed in Chicago. People are getting shot in Chicago. And the narrative is always, there's nothing being done. There's nothing being done. And there is a group that's been there, always been there, of black people going out and connecting with other black people in the neighborhood. And more often than not, when, they, when there is a shooting on the south side, the streets know who did it. And these people go in and literally go to someone who just lost a friend or a loved one and go, hey, I know you want to go and retaliate, but don't do that. Let me talk to you about other ways to take care of that. And being able to take the cameras and shine a light on that, and I think that goes right back to what Ronnie was talking about. This is the type of stuff that you can't follow on a regular basis if we're always following what's happening in D.C. There are a lot of solutions that are happening in this country 
at the local level and there's a lot of concerned citizens doing stuff. So to be able to, number one, go there and get the access with these people. When we were walking the block on the south side, we had to wait 30 minutes for the interrupters to go up the block to get the green light for our cameras to even come up the street. And this is at three in the afternoon. Who knows what it would have been at 10 o'clock at night. So to be able to have that type of access and still go in and do jokes on an issue without disrespecting the issue or the people involved, like that's a very, very difficult needle to thread. And so to be able to do that is just amazing. And then that goes back to Trevor and the producers even believing that that could be accomplished, that you could even go out and go and do that type of story. Like that was one of the more meaningful stories I've done. One of the people that we interviewed in the piece was murdered three days after it aired. Like this is real, it's real shit. And to be able to take our cameras to a place like that, that's, that's just, it's amazing. Uh, Desi. <laughs> Desi, you've done some pieces about, about uh, being a woman in this era, being a, a, a mother, uh, in, a, a mother of a young child, now three and a half, I still can't believe it. Um, are there any pieces that you've done that, that, what is the most meaningful piece you've done in terms of? Bef before you answer that, Desi, can I just say, <laughs> When Desi was pregnant on the show, people thought it was some weird gag that we had running. <laughs> so like this was the mo I, you remember that it was the most random thing. So Desi got pregnant while she was on the show, and then she like she you know she became a pregnant woman on the show, and then people were just like, when are you guys gonna quit this joke? <laughs> they were like, this is like the longest bit ever. Like this is not paying off at all. And we're like, no, she is with child. <laughs> so anyway, she really is a mom f for anyone who still if doesn't only believe it. Were it. A joke, Trevor. If <laughs> only it were. Um, no, I, I, I started the, the job when I was six months pregnant, and it, the most amazing thing was that The Daily Show and Comedy Central and Trevor, they were like, yeah, cool, no big deal, perfect. We'll let you start the job at six months. But they said, we'll talk about it, we won't talk about it, we'll use it, we won't use it, whatever you wanna do. And I was like, all right, I'm staying here forever. You will have to kick me out. Um, I, I, I actually got to just work on an hour special for Comedy Central about gender equality. And uh, as it turns out, uh, America could be doing more for women these days. What? what? <laughs> I know. It's a shocker. Damn, girl. Yeah. <laughs> The, uh, the World Economic Forum puts out a gender gap ranking every year, and America was ranked 49th in the world Ow. when it comes to gender oh. equality. Yeah. No, that's not a slow clap. Not a lot a, of countries. Not a lot of countries. Not even all the countries were in it. So uh, yeah, so we, America, the greatest country in the world, is clearly not the greatest country in the world for women right now. Um, and I was finding that when you speak out about this as a woman, when you, when you ask for more, whether it's marching or protesting or making your voice heard on social media, there's this pushback in this country uh, of people going, what are you talking about? Women have all the rights that they could possibly want. If you hate it so much, why don't you go to another country where they really hate women? And I'm like, no, why don't we compare ourselves, let's, let's, let's measure ourselves next to the best countries in the world for women. Let's find out who's number one, who's number five, who's number 13, let's go there and try to copy off their homework and then steal those ideas as our own because that is the American way. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> this makes sense. God. So we did that, we went to Iceland, we went to Namibia, we went to Spain. 
I, uh, I left my screaming toddler at home with my husband for three weeks, because he would do the same. <laughs> and I convinced Comedy Central to uh, send me out for an international work vacation. Very nice. Great. <laughs> Very nice. What do you guys have planned for, for 2020? It's already picking up. You had uh, Senator uh, Kamala Harris was on your show. That got a lot of attention. Um, first of all, uh, you said that it's live to tape, but the interviews sometimes go longer and you have to edit them down for, uh, yeah. for the show, right? That's the one exception. Well, because I, I realized that there wasn't enough time to have an in-depth conversation with somebody, you know, five, six minutes. What can you really get into? And so oftentimes, what we do is we'll put the highlights of the interview on TV and we'll tell people, look, go watch the full thing online because um, I don't like the idea of bringing someone to the show and then jumping straight into what feels like an ambush or, or it being a softball just because I only had the time to say, hi, how are you? You know, so, so uh, I started recording the interviews long, putting them online so you can see the full context of everything that was said. I'm not trying to make you look bad. I'm not trying to make you look good. I'm making you the way you are. Um, for 2020 though, the plans, are to try and, I think, recalibrate the telling of the story th that is um, America. You know, I think for a long time we've become inundated by Donald Trump and, and he's really fantastic at, at, at sucking all of the life out of the news cycle. You know, he just, he, he absorbs all of it. But it is an interesting time in America's history where America will have to decide who it is. And, you know, in this previous election, we saw people just didn't vote. People were like, it doesn't matter. Trump and Hillary, it's all the same. And you're like, is it? Um, mm. and, so now, and so now America will have to decide. And so what's going to be interesting for me for 2020 is this new narrative and this new discussion around the Democratic Party. Because for a long time, it's just been one storyline, and that's Donald Trump. Donald Trump is, and then it would be whatever action it follows. But now it's going to be like, who are the Democrats? What do they stand for? What are their plans? How do they cope with each other? Is it going to be a civil war amongst themselves where they destroy each other before they get there? Um, or will they find a cohesive way to come together and then put up um, you know, a, a legitimate uh, you know, defense or, or, or rather challenge uh, against Donald Trump? And so that's gonna be our journey on The Daily Show is figuring out how to inform you on what's actually going on. Because that, I won't lie, that's one of the biggest things that frustrates me in America um, like when I watch cable news, no offense to you in particular, you know I like your show, Jake, yours is great. Um, <laughs> but one thing that frustrates me on cable news a lot of the time is that I, I don't know what's going on. I came, I came from a country where like we didn't have like panels, we don't have, there's not opinion, it's just the news is reported, that's, that's it. And then when I got to America, it was very much like, wait, wh what? Well, I think, you know, I think this is gonna happen. I think the Democrats need to do, well, if you look at, they need to do, and it's like, well, what, is, what are the facts though? Everyone has an opinion on what it should be. And so, and genuinely, I, I, I joke and I say it for real, because Jake is here, but I have appreciated like your interviews. I like to learn about what's happening. I wanna know what the candidates' plans are. I think that's what voters should be doing. They should be informed. It shouldn't be about how you eat a corn dog. It should be about how you're going to treat Americans who eat too many corn dogs with healthcare. Um, <laughs> and but the, so, important, the important thing, though, is the, is the corn dog. Of course, the corn dog stays. <laughs> I mean, that I've, I've accepted in America. I understand this. As long as um, that's the given. Yes. But, but I think that's, that's really what our journey is going to be now, is, is accurately giving you a, a journey and a story of what is going on. You know, so that if you watch The Daily Show, at least, I would like you to be able to go to your, to your voting station knowing what your candidate stands for or against. That's the one thing I would like to do, is focus on, on policy. You know, it's, it's, um, it's affected versus offended. 
That's, that's, that's the thing we always say to each other at the show. And I think a lot of the time, it's easy to get caught up in things that offend people, but not the things that affect people. And, and Trump is good at doing that. He'll like, you know, throw out a bunch of random tweets. People get offended. And then his administration is, is gangster in the streets. I mean, you know, everyone from Ben Carson through to Betsy DeVos, you look at what they're doing on the ground. They're not offending anyone uh, on, on the scale that he, uh, he is, but they're affecting so many more people. Right. And so that's what our journey is going to be going up to 2020, is giving you an accurate representation of what is happening in the race and what the candidates actually stand for and how it'll affect your life. That's interesting because this actually feeds into one of these questions that are submitted by the audience. Uh, this first one here from a millennial. Um, Shibuki, are you tweeting this right now? <laughs> I think they misspelled millennial, but anyway. <laughs> That's very millennial. That's very on brand. Um, there is a... <laughs> wow. wow. Okay. It's just a joke. Let a you know, cynical, Trevor let a cynical old Gen Xer have his one. day in the sun. Uh, there is a significant percentage of millennials, that one's spelled correctly, who consume late night shows as their only format for news. How, if at all, does it impact your programming? And you just, you just said that you're you, you embracing that. You're saying that's okay if they only watch the, our show. We want them to be able to go to the election booth informed. Yes. I, 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 I would like to create a show, and I strive to create a show every day that informs you about what's happening in your world. Um, I've tried to bring in more international stories, even if it's just to give you an inkling of an idea that is happening. You know, one thing that I took for granted growing up in South Africa is we just knew what was happening in the world. We just knew. We knew if there was a war happening in Burundi. We knew if a president was having issues in, in a random country in the Middle East. We knew if Asia was having problems with its stock markets. We just knew these things, and I took that for granted. I understand America is a larger country, so it's harder to encompass all of the stories. But it is nice to let people know that something is happening that may in time affect Americans. And I think that's, that's the thing that, that, that always plagued me is a lot of the time, American news would cover a story when it affects Americans directly. It would be like, America is now going to war with Venezuela. And it's like, yeah, but if you follow the story from the beginning, mm -hmm. you could almost sense that, hey, there might be a war coming up or there, there could be some sort of conflict that we need to get involved in or might get involved in, but it, it's less of a surprise. And so for me, it's just about informing people. It's just about knowing what's happening in your world. You know about something that could happen to your country. Brexit, for instance, was a precursor to Trump. You know, so if you were following Brexit, you, when, once Brexit actually happened, once the vote was tallied, you'd be able to watch that and go like, oh, sweet Lord, maybe we live in a world where older people are going to vote uh, you know, for, for ideas and policies that move a country backward, uh, and younger people are not going to take the votes as seriously. And could that happen in America? And you're like, well, could it? And that's, that's a question you could be asking. And so for me, I, I, I take that as a, uh, an obligation and a responsibility, and it's, it's fun. I like engaging in those topics, and um, I, I try as much as we can, and, and we do that on the show. And what I love about everyone sitting on the stage is everyone comes in with their own opinions, and everyone's engaging in the news in different ways. So Jabuki will come in and say, hey, here are my opinions on what's happening with the Jussie Smollett story. And what I loved about Jabuki's point of view was, he said, I, I'm not engaging just on the Jussie Smollett side of it, but let's talk about this whole, just a few misconceptions. A, that, oh, Chicago's not Trump country. Like, there's no Trump supporters. Like, you're trying to create this utopia of liberalism. And Jabuki's like, no, I've lived there. This is a real place that has different people who vote differently and think extremely differently, you know? Um, and then he was like, at the same time, as a gay man, let me tell you what it is like 
to live in America, a country where as a gay black man, I can go to, I, I, can, I can be beaten up because somebody feels like I was coming onto them sexually and they can use this as a defense in court. These are things we learn about on the show and these are his opinions. And everyone does that. You know, Michael will have ideas, Roy, Desi, Dulce, uh, Ronnie, every single person on the stage will do that and, and that's, that's what we try and do. <laughs> Not you, Ronnie? <laughs> no, every, every, that's why I said every single person yeah. on the stage uh, will, will do that. And uh, you're doing it right now, Ronnie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and and um, and and that's that's what we continually try to do. We only have uh, a few more minutes, but uh, I, I am wondering uh, if, uh, and you can just uh, raise your hand if you want. Uh, if there's anything you're really looking forward to covering in the 2020 uh, election, we can we can do a lightning round if you want. Okay. Go, Ronnie. Go. Um, Andrew Yang, 2020, first Asia president. <laughs> he, I think he was, he was here and he spoke uh, yesterday, I think, maybe. Or the what, do you, what do you like about Andrew Yang, Ronnie? I don't know, just something about his eyes that I really just... <laughs> yeah. He's just sincere? Something about him? Yeah. There's a sincerity in there. Something familiar something, to you? Yeah, just something about... I just really trust. I look in his eyes and I just go, yeah, this is a guy. Who has eyes? So it's not, it's not the long. living wage part of it. It's, oh, well, I don't even know what that is. But yeah, the eyes. I want to see how the, 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 by the way, shout out to South by Southwest for having a translator here, uh, uh, sign language translator. That's awesome. Yep. How, do you, how do you say slanty eyes in sign language? Don't make that oh, woman that. do that, Ronnie! Oh, damn. Even, <laughs> look how professional she is. She's not even like reacting to him, just talking to him. <laughs> Damn. Oh, Ronnie. That woman is a college graduate. Ronnie. How do you say America in sign language? <laughs> okay. How do you say make great again? Okay, great. Okay. Great. All right. <laughs> we're, we're, <laughs> poor that poor woman. She's a good person. Guys, you cover right. a lot of women's issues. There are, I think, five women running for president. Uh, yeah, the it's a ticket. very exciting time. And I, I'm interested in looking at how, wh how, what, what the response is. There's so much talk about, like, is she likable? How does she look? What's her pantsuit like? And I am interested in seeing how that has evolved this time around. What do you make of the criticism of Amy Klobuchar for being tough on her staff? Is that something else? I've heard people say that they think uh, that's sexist, that men would never... Uh, be treated that way, for, uh, be, be criticized for being tough on their staff. If, is that something? No, that... I think you should be tough on your staff. You have a staff to run, you should be tough on them. That is, they but wouldn't, wouldn't like say that about. Stuff at them? Listen, it's all on the table, okay? <laughs> I'm not what provoked her. <laughs> I mean, it depends on what she's throwing. I have her You back. know, <laughs> like if it's like a stapler, girl, calm down. But <laughs> if it's something like soft, run it. They should have had your lunch ready. I get it. <laughs> Where's my salad? You work for me. What's the problem? I'm looking forward to... <laughs> um, I meant what I said. <laughs> uh, Democratic primaries. I'm curious to see how the Democrats go to war with each other while at the same time not showing all of their weaknesses to the Republicans. And that's going to be very interesting, like how mean can I be against you without completely being mean to you? Because if I lose to you, I still have to support you. Well, is it gonna be like the Tea Party? Because the Tea Party kind of really messed up the Republican Party. So there's gonna be a Democratic, like a Democratic I equivalent feel like they splits. took over the Republican Party. Well, like, like they the, won. Yeah, it, really it fractured and it came together, yeah. but yeah. is there gonna be a, 
Because the problem is, is that the Republican Party knows very much about their base, but the Democratic Party, their base is so huge. Because it's, so, it's basically anyone who's not rich and white. <laughs> or the Republican Party has been very good about convincing poor white people that they're just as good as rich white people and get them to vote against themselves. So, if you, that mean, <laughs> how are you on public assistance and voting against public assistance? Like, they're, it's perfect, it's genius. But, so if you have such a large base, like, you're like, okay, you've got black people, and then you got LGBT, like, you have all these groups of people, how do you bring all of the groups of people together to go, we gotta defeat this evil man, yeah. and everyone, has their own agenda. Just sort of going off of that, I'm really interested to see how the Democratic candidates are able to reel in centrists and also mobilize a lot of young people like me who are very allured by the idea of like universal health care, like student loan forgiveness, free college, stuff like that, that a lot of the Democratic Socialists are proposing. And seeing these people like short circuit trying to bridge those two <laughs> gaps has been like very entertaining. So you know, one of, one of the big d divides right now in Washington is not even necessarily Democratic Republican, but it is, it's generational. You know, uh, the politicians over 60 or so and politicians younger than 40 or so. Uh, and there's a real chasm there. You saw it, I think, some of it with the Ilhan Omar comments and the reaction in Congress, reaction among Democrats to that. Well, I mean, the problem is if you put young people in a position where we feel like we have no future, we're just going to become more radicalized. Like, that's, we have nothing to lose at this point. So. That's just sort of what this upcoming election is gonna look like, I don't know. The city of Toledo just voted for Lake Erie to have the same rights as a person. This is what most excites me in the future. <laughs> We can sit here and debate politics while we absolutely destroy our freshwater, our rivers, our mountains, everything. If Lake Erie is deemed a person, which it is now, it can sue. You can sue on its behalf for farms polluting, for ruining our world. That's what I'm most excited about. <laughs> oh, yeah! He Wait. does this every time we do a panel. We're, every field. Wait, can the lake, can the lake vote? Yeah, well, no, I mean, it, it has the legal defense fund behind it, but what I'm saying is... It can't vote because it doesn't have an ID. We're, we're, <laughs> we need... <laughs> Probably vote Republican as well, because it's... I know it sounds kind of like, you know, utopian, but for the next election, I'm most excited to see if we can do anything to protect our environment. That would really get me excited. I have a lake house, I don't want to lose it. <laughs> yeah. Are we going to see, Trevor, are we going to see you guys out on the campaign trail when, when we're there? I, I remember in the 2004 campaign, I would run Definitely. into the Steve Carells and the, and the Stephen Colbert's out there on the campaign trail Definitely. trying to get interviews along with the rest of us. Yeah, we, we love that. I remember the first time uh, I went out, I think it was to New Hampshire, and um, it was my first introduction to the, you know, this, this world of the campaign trail, um, which, by the way, one of the things I didn't appreciate was how much um, it reminded me of wrestling. Because like all the candidates would go out there and they'd trash each other and then like afterwards they'd go out and they'd grab drinks and I always used to be like, maybe you should put the drinks part on TV as well <laughs> so that your constituents know how chummy you guys actually are behind yeah. the scenes because your fans are ready to kill each other because of what you guys do in front of the camera and then when you go backstage, you're all friendly about it and laughing about what you said at the debates. 
Um, mm. So we're definitely going to be back on the trail. The Daily Show is going to be out on the road. Uh, you know, we're going to be at the conventions. We're going to be, you know, tracking the primaries. We're going to go wherever they'll give us access. Um, Republicans don't let us in. They let Michael in sometimes. <laughs> um, I've never figured out why. Um, <laughs> Something about my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and so... <laughs> And so, yeah, you know, the, the, the journey is going to be fun because we, we want to be on the road. We want to be uh, a part of the story. And, um, you know, what, what, what is great is um, I enjoy creating a show with my friends and colleagues over here that is a little edgier. Like, we, you know, we're, we're not afraid to make jokes that sometimes piss people off. We're not afraid to say things that rattle the cage a little bit because, like, that's, that's what we feel needs to be done. You know, it, it, it's, I'm, I'm not trying to create a straight-up news show. I want you to watch The Daily Show because it's going to tell you what's happening in the world, but also because it's going to help you laugh. Because uh, if you're not laughing at what's happening right now, you will go crazy. <laughs> uh, you will be crying every single day. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's, that's what we try and do. We use the comedy to try and cope with it all. And that's a great time to, to thank the, the members of The Daily Show for being here. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Thank Trevor, you. Noah, Ronnie out. Chang, Michael Costa, Desi Lydic, Dulce Sloan, Roy Wood Jr., Jabuki Young-White. Thanks so much. And Jake Tapper, everybody. Jake Tapper. Thank you so much. Jake Tapper. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.